everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So what's yours for when stocks go south? Do you sell into the slide, take profits on the side, lock in your losses, take the towel and toss it in the ring? Sell-offs can sting, especially when your portfolio is weighted in one direction and we fall into a correction. It's been a while since we felt this pain. Where's our record highs? All our juicy gains. We knew this was coming, but it's hard to admit. The market's in a cycle. Did we get in front of it? Or are we backed up, stacked up, third and 15? The defense is coming. We need a new scheme, a game plan, crisp passing leadership and finesse. We need a quarterback for the Investopedia Express. And we got one this week, a Super Bowl champion. Eli Manning joins the show in just a little bit, but roll down the window because sentiment stinks right now in the stock market. U.S. equity markets are coming off their worst week in nearly two years and headed for more losses as we start the week. Both the S&P 500 and the Dow Industrials closed out their third straight week of losses last week, down 5.7% and 4.6% respectively. And the Nasdaq Composite plunged 2.7% Friday and 7.6% for the week, its worst weekly decline since March of 2020. The Nasdaq is down more than 14% from recent all-time highs, and those were just a few weeks ago. That, fellow passengers, is a technical correction. Open up the hood on the NASDAQ Composite Index, and it's even worse. More than 70% of NASDAQ stocks have fallen at least 20% from a recent high, which means they're technically in a bear market. More than half of NASDAQ stocks are down 40% or more. There's no animal name yet for that kind of tumble, but we're going to call it a swan dive for now and add it to the Investopedia Terms Library. Netflix, one of the best performing stocks of the past 10 years, fell nearly 22% on Friday, its worst day since 2012. Shares of Amazon posted their worst week since 2018, and they're down 20% from all-time highs. It's even worse for small-cap stocks. There are 32 Russell 3000 stocks down 50% or more from their 52-week highs, and the short sellers are circling, betting on more declines. The short interest in those 32 small-caps as a percent of total float is above 25%. Remember this simple math as we see losses mounting across the stock market. If your investment is down 25%, you need a 33% return to break even. If your investment is down 50%, you need a 100% return to break even. If your investment is down 75%, you need a 300% return to break even. I'm not saying we're going there. I have no idea. But as we think about our thresholds for losses, keep that math in mind. How much can you take? You can always put stop losses into your stocks, ETFs, or mutual funds, and you can always keep your eyes out for bargains to add to your watch list amid a sell-off, but know your threshold. Tech stocks, as Liz Young explained to us just a few episodes ago, are super sensitive to rising interest rates, especially as their growth rates are slowing down. Netflix is a classic example of that, but so is Peloton, where shares have fallen 84% since their highs in 2020. Peloton makes bikes and treadmills powered by technology, and growth skyrocketed amid the pandemic. But demand has waned, and now there are rumors that the company is halting production and preparing for layoffs. Have we seen this before? Many, many times. But let's take a little trip into railroad history for a good example, flagged by our pal Jamie Catherwood at Investor Amnesia. During the 19th century railway boom in the U.S., expectations for growth and demand became decoupled from reality. Leading up to the Panic of 1857, much of the speculation in land and railroads was tied to the expectation of settlers in a given territory. More settlers meant rising land prices, and that meant that railways would be encouraged to run their lines through towns, further increasing land prices. Railroad investors' fortunes depended on that continuing inflow of settlers and the growth of commerce on the frontier, which required confidence in the viability of experience 
expansion westward. This was particularly true in Kansas, where speculation reached a fever pitch. Since the success of their speculations was contingent upon the growth of settlers, and that growth was significant, investors in Kansas began to extrapolate booming short-term growth into long-term assumptions. This is often where the problem arises. Just because settlers were arriving at a rate of 1,000 per day in April of 1857, that does not mean there would always be 1,000 new settlers arriving every day. Just because Peloton sold a ridiculous amount of bikes during quarantine, that doesn't mean they would always be able to sell that many bikes. History doesn't repeat but it often rhymes. Back to 2022, and it's been an especially cold winter out there on the blockchain. $1.2 trillion has been wiped off of cryptocurrency's market value since Bitcoin hit a peak in November. The token itself has fallen 50% from its all-time high and hit a six-month low over the weekend. Now, we're not going to blame Matt Damon, the Oscar-winning screenwriter and actor for this. After all, he is my Jason Bourne. But Bitcoin kind of started tanking right after he appeared for this Crypto.com commercial at the end of October. Fortune favors the brave. And we're not blaming Elon Musk for the 80% plunge in Dogecoin since he hosted Saturday Night Live. I get that, but uh, what is it, man? (laughs) I keep telling you, it's a cryptocurrency you can trade for conventional money. Oh, so it's a hustle. Yeah, it's a hustle. Why did you say that, man? Dogefather, everybody. It's a hustle. To the moon. Coincidence? Maybe. Staying with our digital money theme, the Federal Reserve finally released its long-awaited paper discussing the pros and cons of a potential U.S. central bank digital currency. Listeners will remember our conversation with Sunanya Tuteja, the chief innovation officer for the Fed, who previewed this paper on the show. I read that 40-page paper, so you don't have to, and it doesn't take a stance on any specific policy, nor does the Fed say it's creating a digital currency. But it does formally open the discussion between the central bank and stakeholders, as well as soliciting public comment on the topic. A little bit of smoke, but no fire from the Fed, and maybe part of the list of concerns weighing on crypto prices of late. We should also keep our eyes out for more regulation, not just in the crypto markets. We know that's coming, but across capital markets. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler is preparing a crackdown on Wall Street, promising in a speech last week that his proposals will, quote, increase efficiency in the capital markets, in part by reducing the amount of money that companies pay on fees. Reading between the lines, Gensler's talking about payment for order flow and commissions on financial products. The Wall Street Journal reports that Gensler will make three proposals this week, a rule to enhance disclosure by private equity funds, reforms in the U.S. government debt markets, and increasing transparency on executive compensation. The SEC is also considering other rules, many focused on disclosure, and like virtually every regulatory agency in the Biden administration, there will be mandates to force companies to address climate change. Gensler also wants to bring cryptocurrency companies under SEC control, citing what he believes to be the public's vulnerability to speculation. Here comes regulation. Let's get set up for a very busy week ahead. The Federal Reserve will hold its first FOMC meeting for the year starting Tuesday. While the Fed isn't expected to raise rates just yet, the meeting could pave the way for up to six rate hikes this year, and the Fed may offer guidance on when they'll come. With inflation at 7%, a 40-year high, the Fed is under pressure to raise rates to cool prices and may act sooner than anticipated. This week will also bring a steady stream of earnings, including reports from some of the most valuable companies by market capitalization with widely held stocks, including Apple, Microsoft, IBM, and Johnson & Johnson reporting results. Investors have no patience for missed earnings estimates or weak guidance. They punished Netflix last week for missing its subscriber growth targets, sending the stock down 20 25% in one day. 
Apple and Microsoft are the most widely held stocks in the world. As they go, so go the markets. Key in to what Apple says about iPhone 13 sales estimates for the year and to what Microsoft says about growth in its cloud business. And we'd like a little bit more information on Microsoft's recent purchase of Activision for $67 billion. That was its largest acquisition ever. What's the future of gaming in the metaverse? Or is Mr. Softy just playing around? The housing market will come into focus on Tuesday with the release of the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index, which will provide an update on changes in home prices in America's largest cities as of November. We'll also get a report on new home sales for the month of December on Wednesday. The Mortgage Bankers Association reported that the average mortgage price in America hit a record in early January of 3.88% as demand continues to outpace supply. The National Association of Realtors projects home prices will climb another 3 to 5% in 2020, and in 2023. If I had a successful 16-year NFL career in which I won two Super Bowls, was selected to four Pro Bowls, and set every passing record possible for the New York Giants, I might be just fine with taking my talents right back home to New Orleans, playing in a few celebrity golf tournaments, endorsing some local car dealerships, and getting paid on the speaking circuit. But I'm not Eli Manning, in case that wasn't obvious. And he seems to be just getting started only two years out of the league. He's one of the most popular celebrity athletes out there today. He's on ESPN2 with his brother Peyton, with their highly entertaining simulcast of Monday Night Football. He's got his own docuseries on college football. He's a huge philanthropist, an investor, and now a player in the world of private equity. And he is our special guest on the Investopedia Express this week. Welcome, Eli. Uh, thank you, Kale. really appreciate it. It's really a thrill to have you here. You recently hooked up with Brand Velocity Partners, which is a private equity firm here in New York. We hear a lot about celebrities and celebrity athletes getting involved in venture capital or late stage financing. But what is it about private equity that interests you and why Brand Velocity Partners? You know, when I retired from football, I knew I wanted to get into the business world or something that always interests me. I just never had the time to really do it. You know, all my focus was on football. I knew I had such a small time to play this game. And if you didn't spend all your time doing it, it would end really before you wanted it to end. And so, but when I retired, I knew, you know, I wanted to get into the business world, really spent that, you know, a year and a half just talking to different people, talking to different companies, talking to different, trying to find what interests me and what field. And, you know, I see a lot of people in the in the venture world and I get it. You know, it's, it's exciting. And I'm definitely ha- are investing in certain things in, in venture and kind of getting away from some of the fixed income because, you know, you're just not getting much for your buck anymore in that field. And so the venture, you hear the stories and you hear the people, hey, I got in early on this company and it's blowing up and you made, you know, 20X and it's exciting, but you don't always hear about the stories that, hey, you know, of the 15 other companies you invested in that didn't work out. And so you kind of have to learn about that. And with private equity, and I think that's the, you know, the great thing about BVP is that getting involved with them, learning how they, they work, their core values. I've got to know them through an investment in a company called Barbecue Guys early on. And so what I saw with them is that you find a company that has a place in the marketplace. Uh, you acquire it, but then you're able to grow that company through marketing and through your experience. And so there's just a little bit of less of a downsides and, and going the wrong way, but you still get to see companies grow and expand. And so that that's kind of just made me more comfortable and excited about that. I was a marketing major in college. So kind of the idea of being able to grow it through the marketing and obviously in private equity, it's always the numbers. I mean, 
even if we do nothing with the marketing side, you want to buy companies that are going to be successful and continue to be successful. But can you grow it that much more? You were a marketing major at Ole Miss. It's nice to see you be able to use your major in this part of your career, but you've been using it the whole time, marketing, obviously your own image and, and all the great work you did around that. But PE, as you know, Eli, very hands-on. Venture capital, you play some bets. Public investing, you play some bets and hope for the best. But in PE, it's very strategic. It's very hands-on. You've read a lot of playbooks. You've studied a lot of defenses. This is sort of get your hands dirty type of thing. Is that something that interests you as well, just given the way you, you like to think and the way you operate? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's how I always operated from my own marketing standpoint and doing endorsements. You want to align yourself with companies that you believe in. You use their products. You believe in their values of what kind of business they are and company. And so I think it's the same thing for BVP and us is looking at companies that align with our core values, align with companies you know that hey, we get along with the people, with the owners. We understand what they've been doing, how they treat people and how we want to grow their company and being on the same page. And so I think it is, like you said, uh, getting involved, getting to know the people and giving back to the employees. And that's the one thing that attracted me to BVP is they have this share the gains program where 10% of our carried interest goes to the employees. And so that resonated with me so much, uh, just becoming from a team aspect and an organization and football. Like when you win a Super Bowl, it's not just the players and coaches that get that Super Bowl ring. It's the equipment managers. It's people uh, in the cafeteria. It's people and, you know, uh, work in the training room and the film room. All those people get a ring. All those people are involved in that championship and get to say, hey, you know, remember when we won a championship back in 2007, they all get to say that. It's not just the players, it's everybody in that organization. So you want the whole company all working together, all coming together, excited about the growth and the advancement and the success of the company they're working for. That's not very usual, folks, listeners out there. PE is usually not giving money back to employees. They're looking for ways to cut costs. So a very unusual and interesting model at BVP. And you, you mentioned Barbecue Boys, one of your first investments there. What brought you to that investment? It's investing in what you know. I assume you're pretty good on the grill, but also you had some friends and, and folks who, who kind of turned you on to that investment as well, right? Yeah, well, it got started just because they're a Louisiana-based company based in Baton Rouge. We grew up in, in Louisiana. So, you know, it was brought to us just by, you know, a connection at BVP who knew my agent. And so just the idea of this is Louisiana company. We know the Mannings from Louisiana. You know, love you to look at this. And so my team and people who I've used uh, to help me in my investing world as I was playing that I've stayed, stayed on with, you know, looked at it, liked the idea. So all of us, my, my brothers, my dad, all invested in it. And then a year later, we're asked to be brand ambassadors for it. And, and obviously, you know, it just made sense. And again, it's about aligning with the company that you believe in. It's barbecue grills. It's really outdoor living. And so that's, you know, something we grew up outside, you know, hey, the grill's on, you're cooking burgers, you're having chicken, you have friends over, you're playing pickup basketball and football in the front yard and swimming. And it's just, you just saw that people still do that, especially now during this pandemic is you're investing in your home. Who's out there in, in the celebrity athlete world that you grew up watching or you sort of admired from afar and you said, I kind of want to model my sort of post-playing career after what they're doing as investors. Who's out there for you as a North Star? You know, I think obviously what Steve Young has done in private equity, he's kind of set the tone and really set the standard from, from that way. I think not only mentioning 49ers quarterbacks, but Joe Montana has done a great job and talked to him. And he's obviously gone more in the venture world, but been successful. And so 
Um, you know, uh, you know, so there's, I think those are two of them that I think have done great. And so, you know, I think it's just really trying to find something that you're passionate about, something you, you know, you want to work towards, you like working and learning about. And that's the thing for me, I enjoy learning about private equity. And a lot of it has just been, you know, being on calls, taking notes, finding, hey, how do I learn more? You know, how can I read? Is there a fellowship? Is there some things I can get caught up to speed on, on some of these terms? So I enjoy that process. When I play football, I enjoy watching the film, learning about defense and that grind. So it gives me something that, hey, I have a lot to learn. I'm new to this, but I need to learn the words and the meanings and the sayings so I can have a better feel for what y'all are talking about and eventually kind of bring my own knowledge to the game and and be able to have a a better say in what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I have a great website to recommend to you that has all these investing in finance terms for free. We've been around since 1999. So anytime, Eli Manning, you want to come check out Investopedia, the door is wide open. You earned a lot of money in your playing career. And I mean, you earned it with your resilience, the consecutive game streaks, the sacks, the triumphs, the Super Bowls. You also had the benefit of guidance from your dad and your brother who played in the league. But what do you wish you knew financially when you started out that you know now, now that you're retired? You know, I think I did a good job with my finances and understanding understanding that I didn't know a whole lot about it and that I needed to have a strong team to look after me and helping me kind of guide through through that time. It's a different deal when you know, all of a sudden you're 23 years old and, and you you know all of a sudden you kind of get that first paycheck and you're like what do I do this you know with this how do I you know use this the right way and get it into the right whether it's a you know stocks or it's an index fund and those things is you know how do I invest in the right things and being a, a celebrity and being in the spotlight it can be good you can get access to a lot of things but people have access to you and you can kind of get some great opportunities and you can get some terrible opportunities. And that, that, you know, I didn't know the difference between those two. And so, you know, I brought it to my team who I trusted and my guys and let them vet it. You know, it could be from a great friend of mine who gave me this idea. And if my guy said, Hey, I don't like it. Then I, I told my guy, Hey, it's not for me. Thank you very much. Thanks for bringing it. But you know, you've got to be smart with that. And so I think it's just about understanding at that stage, when you're young, you're making money, there's money coming in. You don't have to be risky with your money. My dad used to always say, you can never go broke making a profit. And a lot of it, he was talking about football, just saying, hey, take completions, find completions, be smart with it. And hey, you'll you'll take your shots. And But it's kind of coming from, hey, that's where the defense told you to go. They were giving that up. So that was a smart play to take it. So it's really, I kind of take it the, the same world in investing. Hey, do the smart thing, take your completions, go with these companies that you trust that are doing things well, every once in a while, you hit the home run. You, you get one that just goes great, but you're avoiding those negative ones. You're avoiding the disasters and staying away from those that have a chance to really go the other way and go south. That's that risk management that we talk about all the time. So important and to diversify because one thing could take you down if you're not diversified across asset classes. Every, folks know that, but it's so hard to pay attention to that when you're watching and you're having that fear of missing out, watching other people make those gains. Our listeners will remember we had Joe McLean on. He's a financial advisor to celebrity athletes. And the thing, Eli, that he said that resonated with me so much was young people, especially young people coming into money, don't know what it costs to be them. 
What does it cost to actually be you and be the you you want to be? And determining that and becoming the CEO of your own life, so important. I want to talk a little bit more about financial literacy for pro athletes because it's a big deal. And these are, in a lot of cases, young people. You were 23, but a lot of folks are 18, 19, coming into pro leagues now, or even the college athletes getting paid. What was available to you in terms of financial literacy when you started within the league, not outside through your family and through your connections, but what was available to pro athletes then and now? Well, it's really expanded and it's got better what the athletes, pro athletes and the NFL does a great job of having internships with companies that you can, you know, join for during the off season for, and it might be six weeks. It's not, you know, the whole time where, hey, you know, you still got workouts and, you, and they work around your schedule. There's different kind of programs and initiatives you can join and go for a seminar for a long weekend and or a week here or there during that off season as well. So they are a lot of great programs that kind of helps you find different fields that you might want to go into, whether it is broadcasting or whether it's business or different types of finance or real estate and where you can go kind of get that internship, learn as you're playing the game. So when you do eventually retire, you have kind of a direction or you have that idea of where you want to go. So I think the NFL does a great job of giving guys those opportunities. And a little bit, you got to be in charge of your own opportunities and in your own life and decide, hey, what you want to do, what's important to you. But there are the options out there for you to take advantage of it. And, and a lot of guys are doing it. And you see more guys, especially in basketball, you see that they are getting involved more in businesses and starting companies and teaming up and and getting their investments on track while they're still playing. It used to be like, hey, don't let anyone see you do anything besides your job and your football. But now there are opportunities and, and it's about being smart. If you can get you know teamed up with the right people, there are ways to, to do both of them and do both well. Finding the right team, though, so important in that aspect and in every aspect of your life and career. So let's take it back to Ole Miss. If you were in college now, back at Ole Miss, and you were in marketing major like you were, and now that college athletes can get paid for their likeness, what NFT would you create of yourself if you could and sell? This should be an easy one for you because you were that marketing major and you already had a celebrity profile by the time you were playing college ball. I think you have to be very careful with the NILs and, and with the college football. And I think there are examples where if you think you're going to be a great player and you have a chance for an NFL life, you got to be careful all of a sudden taking these little deals and taking you know little little monies here and there, being overexposed and get connected with things for some money. But all of a sudden you get to the NFL and you wouldn't have the same opportunity with endorsements. You kind of you know blown through some relationships, so it is a little scary in that sense. I think you look at. Uh, Trevor Lawrence or somebody, if they had that going and if he took some NILs and got it, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, he might not be making the same money off the field that he is now. And so I think it is dangerous and you have to be careful. I think also for me, you know, this personally, I think as an athlete, you know, you got to earn, you know, I see it in the NFL, like you don't want to all of a sudden come in the NFL as a rookie and start doing tons of endorsements and being all over the place. You got to earn the respect from your teammates from everybody that you're doing it on the field before you can kind of do it off the field and be that face of different companies. And so I get worried about in college that if all of a sudden these, these guys that haven't earned it on the field and coming in, they're making money and they're in billboards and they're doing car deals and they're talking about the other stuff instead of, hey, are you in your playbook? Are you amongst the team? Are you earning the respect from that left tackle? He's not getting paid anywhere, but he's protecting you as a quarterback. And so I think it's really about at that stage in college, hey, invest in yourself, believe in yourself, work on your skills to eventually, you know, hopefully make it to the professional level 
or you'll get compensated very well and have a, a greater opportunity for marketing deals. But I think if you are, you know, you do have earned it and you're a junior and you've played two years and you've been at the same program and there is an opportunity to do, you know, make a little money. I think it's great to do it, but I would also probably invest, you know, be a little bit more conservative and, and not create my own NFT, but maybe, you know, get into a stock, get into an index fund, something like that. What's the best investing advice you ever received? And do you remember who gave it to you? Talked about it a little bit before, just with my dad, just you never go broke taking a profit. It just resonates for so many things. And it's just more than just investment, but just kind of a, a way of life in a sense. You know, don't bite off more than you can take. And, and just it's about making profits and you don't have to kind of swing for the fences, you know, bring in a lot of sports analogies here, but you don't have to swing for the fences every single time. It's kind of, Hey, get those base hits, get those base hits. And eventually, Hey, you'll have that great connection that you'll hit the home run without trying to do it. And so I think that's really kind of the way I've invested, just being smart, using your money the right way. For me, you know, it was kind of always the idea of, Hey, I'm not going to touch my salary from playing football. And that's going to go towards just investing it, just get that money working, making profits. I'll try to spend off my endorsement life. And, you know, that's kind of my, my spending money to buy the things I need and, and, and live that life. And so I think that was the idea of just, you know, you get that money working in a positive way, making those profits and, you know, you'll, you'll be safe. Were you actually that regimented about it saying salary goes to investing, endorsement money, I can do other things with that. What, did you actually have the buckets like that set up for you? Yeah, that was the idea. That was the buckets. And that was kind of with the team and, and talked well about it. And, and eventually, you know, could put more endorsement money towards investments also. And it all just kind of lumped together. So it's just about having a plan. I was, I wanted to be just like in football. I wanted to be coached. So, you know, every quarterback coach that I had, even in my 17th year, if we had a new one, it was, Hey, I want to be coached. I want to be coached up. Tell me if I'm doing something wrong. Tell me, you know, how I can get better. It was the same conversation that I have kind of with my team from a marketing standpoint, from a financial standpoint with my investments. Tell me if I'm spending too much. Tell me kind of what my budget is this year. Make sure, you know, I'm living within my means. And so that has always been a conversation, just understanding what's going out versus what's coming in and understanding, you know, how do you be safe with that and where we can make improvements. Yeah. And you want that awareness. You got to have that awareness. Okay. I got a question that only a NOLA boy would know, and I don't want to start a pole boy battle down there, but are you a Domelisis guy or a mother's guy? Very important. I'm a, I'm a Domelisis guy. So it was close to the house. It was close to my high school. You know, my junior, senior year, we got that we could leave for lunch during high school. So to, to drive about four minutes away and get a Domelisis shrimp po' boy dressed to the nine and some zap chips. And, and you know, it, it was it was pretty good living at that time. So, you know, it's tough to get a, a, a po' boy at this at this moment in New Jersey. So I, I called my brother Coop yesterday, lives in New Orleans. He was eating a po' boy at the time. So I was very jealous. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm salivating now thinking about it. I can't wait to get back down there and have one. Well, Eli, you know, we're a site built on our investing terms. What's your favorite investing term if you have one and why, why does it mean so much to you? I guess the one that keeps popping up more, more and more in, in my new world for private equity is EBITDA. You know, it was one of those ones, you know, a year ago and I'm sitting on these, some of these calls and, and learning about the private equity and you hear it kind of being mentioned a bunch. And I was like, all right, that's, that's, I'm like trying to write it down. I'm like, how do you spell EBITDA? Like, I don't even know like what the, what the letters are. And so trying to look on Google to, you know, type it in to find out even what it means and try to spell it correctly, you know, and, and understand it. it meant, what could it possibly mean? So it's one that comes up and it's obviously just trying to 
find the ability for that company to create cash flow, but you know, not it's not the all and deciding factor. There's definitely other things involved in the growth and the maintenance of the company that bring down that that number. But it, it's something that comes up and and just kind of a a fun word to say. Certainly, and it's one of the most popular terms on Investopedia. So you're in good company there. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, or earnings before everything else that you have to pay for. <laughs> but that's a key metric for companies, especially public companies. It has been a real delight to talk to you, Eli Manning. You are all over the place, but a former professional football player, Super Bowl winner, philanthropist, now a private equity partner, and just a delight to have you on the Express. Thanks for spending time with us. Oh, sure thing, Kay. A lot of fun. It's terminology time, time for us to get smart with the investing term we need to know this week. And this week's term comes to us from Sonia in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Roll Tide. Sonia suggests average true range, and we like that because it's a technical analysis indicator introduced by market technician J. Wells Wilder Jr. in his book, New Concepts in Technical Trading System. It measures market volatility by decomposing the entire range of an asset price for that period. The true range indicator is taken as the greatest of the following, the current high less the current low, the absolute value of the current high less the previous close, and the absolute value of the current low less the previous close. The ATR, average true range, is then a moving average generally using 14 days of the true ranges. An expanding ATR indicates increased volatility in the market. A reversal in price with an increase in ATR would indicate strength behind that move. High ATR values usually result from a sharp advance or decline and are unlikely to be sustained for an extended period. A low ATR value indicates a series of periods with small ranges, quiet days. These low ATR values are found during extended sideways price action, thus the lower volatility. A prolonged period of low ATR values may indicate a consolidation area and the possibility of a continuation move or a reversal. Good suggestion, Sonia, from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We'd love a good technical analysis term around here. We're sending you a pair of buttersoft and elegant Investopedia socks for you to wear on your next saunter down to the Riverwalk along the banks of the Black Warrior River. We're going to stick with the football theme this week, and we're going to keep it in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Sonia's hometown, as we let the legendary football coach of the University of Alabama, Paul Bear Bryant, take us out. Here's Coach Bryant reading a poem he said he read to himself every single day. This is the beginning of a new day. God has given me this day to use as I will. I can waste it, or I can use it for good. What I do today is very important. Because I'm exchanging a day of my life for it. When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone. Forever. Leaving something in its place. I have traded for it. I want it to be gain, not loss. Good, not evil. Success, not failure. In order that I shall not forget the price I paid for it. Every day is a gift, no matter how challenging. Thanks, Coach, and thanks to Eli Manning for joining us this week. It's nice to talk to a champion. Roll on, my friends, and we'll talk again a little further on down the line.